0: we just can't get enough of them.
1: Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment
0: strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets with your co-hosts, The Finance Ghost and Mohammed Nalla.
1: Together, we have more than 25 years of combined experience in the markets.
0: Our recent shows in Magic Markets Premium have included platforms like TripAdvisor, technology businesses like Salesforce, luxury consumer brands like LVMH and Aston Martin, and even an old school industrials group like 3M. For just 99 Rand a month and no minimum commitment, there is no better way to learn about international stocks and how to research them. Visit magic-markets.com to sign up today. Welcome to episode 129 of Magic Markets. It's just Mo and I this week and that means we have a really cool opportunity to just chat through, I guess, some of the stuff that is top of mind for us. Obviously, I'm here in South Africa. Mo is across the very big pond in Canada, so he has a bit more of a global lens, maybe more of a North American lens. So, Mo, it's always fun to do these with you. And every few shows, there's one with just us. And it gives us a really good opportunity to just hang out and, I think, talk through some of these interesting market concepts and just share some knowledge and views. And, of course, we always welcome the views of our listeners to come and debate these points with us and tell us what you think. Yeah, Ghost, it's always a pleasure doing these. And and the reason why I like these shows where sometimes just you and I is that
1: Like you say, it gives us an opportunity to sit, digest, have a look at what's happening in the respective markets where we operate. Yes, maybe I focus a lot more on global markets, on North America in particular, but there's been a lot of activity going on, not just in international markets, but in the South African markets. And we were chatting just prior to the show And we've highlighted some very interesting divergences that we've actually picked up over the course of the last, let's call it two quarters or so, in terms of where the performance has come through on those respective markets and potentially what that is actually telling us around the market cycle as well as the business cycle. So we're going to try and unpack some of that On today's show, and and see what that means in terms of how we view our overall approach to the markets and our own investment strategies.
0: And this comes off the back of a pretty big South African relief rally, as market participants would typically call it. So basically, that means you know things have been downtrodden and beaten for a while, and then there's a glimmer of hope, on in some form or another, and everyone jumps back into the market. The thin rally is five percent or ten percent, and then guess what? Traders take profit anyway. And I always have a little bit of a laugh at some of the headlines that, you know, come around this. Like when things are terrible, the headlines are all shocking. When things are ten percent up, then everyone is a South African bull again. And everyone just forgets that this is how markets work, right? They go up, they go down, but they head in a particular direction. They have a particular trend. And it's why it's actually so important to understand both technicals and fundamentals, something we focus very strongly on in Magic Markets Premium, because the technicals tell you a little bit about the tactics and where the short-term moves might be and the fundamentals tell you a lot more about the trends so South Africa is a perfect example right now it's been one-way traffic this year in consumer businesses until literally this past week load shedding which is our electricity rolling blackouts for anyone listening beyond our borders or who hasn't heard of it basically has slowed down sure almost to nothing uh, now we're getting a couple of hours off a day And hilariously, because everyone is the frog in the boiling water, and we're so used now to being off for 10 hours a day. Two hours a day is like a holiday. The mood is lifted, everyone's feeling better, Mo, and suddenly retail stocks are rallying like crazy when they don't deserve to, in my view. It's just typical of markets, right? Yeah, Ghost,
1: I mean, that's such a fantastic analogy because markets are behavioral. We're going to unpack that on the show as well. Markets are just so behavioral. And when you look at the kind of risk premium that get priced into financial assets, and then when you look at that, that whole delta, the relative between expectations versus reality, your analogy to the load shedding is spot on, is that when you're used to 10 to 12 hours without electricity, All of a sudden, if you're sitting at eight hours without electricity, holy smoke, on a relative basis, that is a material gain. And that is why so much in the markets ends up also being a relative story, a relative trade. But that's where the distinction comes between a longer term view and a more tactical, a shorter term view. Now, I want to almost jump straight into the Rand because I, I almost see that as the most accurate representation of sentiment, for example, on a country. And the reason I say this is that it's a deep, it's a liquid market, uh, and you often see this dislocation between real asset prices, whether those are South African government bonds to a degree, or equity prices, real companies that are out there, and the foreign exchange rate, the exchange rate, the rand against the dollar, for example. Now, sometimes they move in tandem, sometimes they actually move uh, in different directions, and that is really just a product of Where is the market choosing to express a view? Now, what I mean when I say that is I come from the institutional space, from the institutional background where you've got large pension funds, global hedge funds trading. And quite often we used to see them take a position on a South African asset, more uh, more often than not South African government bonds. And then they would express their tactical positioning in the currency. And that's why you got the shorter term moves in the RAND exchange rate, and you got the longer term moves in the underlying asset, whether that was a bond or an equity. And going back to your point, Ghost, very importantly, is that you can almost map the movement on the currency towards social temperature and then use that as a counter indicator. And I'll tell you what I mean when I say that is. Yes, sentiment gets very negative at points in time. I mean, we had the rand moving close on 20 rand against the US dollar not so long ago. Now, I sit out here in North America, I'm generally the wrong way around simply because I generally would require more dollars than I have and I have more rands than I would require. And so I'm always looking in my personal circumstance to be generally long dollar versus the rand. And even at those levels, I was holding off. I was saying, this is looking extended. I've got a model where I map the risk premium on the currency against the other asset classes. And it was looking quite extended. Now, what's transpired subsequently is, as you say, an easing in that risk premium. It's come through quickly. You've seen the RAND react sharply to the downside. And I just want to say, now's when it is important to separate the wood from the trees you've got to decide, am I taking a longer term view on this? Longer term, the fundamentals remain poor. Energy constraints are still a real risk to the South African economy, but on the shorter term basis, we'll definitely take a relief rally simply because it feels good to do that, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, it feels really good, especially when I brought some dollars back to rands in the sort of mid-19s. So I'm kind of hoping that continues to play out. And I must say, this is where I also believe that to really make money in the markets, you need to be watching it actively and those opportunities are there. Don't be shy of, you know, learning how to do this with a speculative part of your of your money. Like, Don't go and take your pension and go and uh, take a punt on whether or not load shedding causes retailers to rally. But, you know, everyone who sits and goes, well, you know, long term only and I'm just happy to get my 10% a year forever. Yes, Warren Buffett Light, we hear you and if you can get your 10% a year forever, we understand. However, If your balance sheet is not very big currently or if you can make 10% this month and 10% next month, and obviously it's a lot harder than that, why not at least give that a crack? And I think through being very active on things like Fintwit you can really pick up some interesting points. So for example, at the moment on the consumer businesses in South Africa I'm definitely bearish without a doubt because overall there are a lot of reasons why South African consumer businesses should be struggling a lot of the outlooks are looking pretty dire you know even if you just take load shedding out of it we recently saw some horrible credit loss provisions out of african bank although there is a question around how conservative they may or may not you know be in that just you know obviously south africans are under a lot of pressure but after a share price has been absolutely hammered the market is looking for a reason for it to be less hammered that, that gap wants to close, Mo, to use a, a, you know, a comment that you often make. It wants to turn. So when it's something like load shedding slowing down, if you know that load shedding has been pushing these retail stocks through the floor, load shedding slowing down is a pretty strong indication that the thing's going to start rallying. And if load shedding comes back, do you know what's going to happen to those stock prices? They are going to turn the other way. You can't guarantee it for sure, but there is a very, very high probability of that. Sentiment is what drives markets. And that's why it's fun to be able to do some swing trading in addition to long-term investing. You know, it's an entirely different sport almost, but it's fun. It's fun. It can be dangerous if you don't watch closely enough,
1: but it's why I focus so much on the whole behavioral finance aspect of things. You know, it's just... These are markets that are moving on expectations, on sentiment. You you touched on Fintwit, for example, and I, I cringed a little bit when you said that because there's a, a real variety of great content and then really bad content that's out there. So again, you know, sound of caution out there for people that are Looking at trading a lot more actively, a lot more tactically, just be very careful around what you're using as your source. And then again, we've always said this time and time again, and maybe it's been quite some time since we've rehashed this. But you know, in terms of how I look at my own portfolio, I demarcate a long term portfolio from a short term portfolio. And the reason for that is because you take some longer term views of strategically where are we going? What is the economy telling us? Which sectors do I want to be in? And this ties in very nicely to a point you had just raised. I was looking at South African markets last week, and we saw this very strong performance come through in terms of your banks. And I said, well, there wasn't any news out. What is actually behind this? And to your point, it was the sentiment rally. It was the fact that, hey, guess what? Load shedding has gone. Hey, guess what? You know, the risk premium starting to ease back a little bit. But it got me thinking because I've got a macro model where I like to map what are the different sectors that are performing in the equity markets and how does that map against an overall business or economic cycle? Because this is an important point and something that's become very evident to me and it's maybe where I'd like to broaden this discussion out beyond just South Africa is the fact that if you have a look at which stocks are performing. uh, Again, With the caveat, South Africa's sectoral dispersion is rather thin. I mean, you've got a top 40 as your headline index compared to an S&P 500 as your headline index in the United States. You just don't have the same dispersion, the same granularity as you would get in some of the international markets. So maybe your read-through into the South African market may not be as clean as you might find in Europe or in the United States. But where am I going with this point? Is that you're seeing very different sectors perform, certainly over the last two quarters, when you look at South African equities versus what you've actually seen globally. And that's starting to tell us some pretty interesting things around where are we in an economic cycle? Where is the U.S. in an economic cycle versus where South Africa is in an economic cycle? And we can try and unpack some of those uh, today as well.
0: And a lot of it comes down to B2B versus B2C. So I wrote on this for Financial Mail this week. I think by the time this podcast goes live, the column should be out as well. And that was in the context of South Africa, where B2B industrials in their purest form have way outperformed consumer businesses this year. Now, obviously, this relief rally will have helped a bit, but the reality is that businesses with pricing power, really industrial stalwarts like, you know, Bidvest, have done really well this year, relative to, for example, the Fashini Group, which has had a really tough year, and a bunch of other retailers. I'm singling out TFG, but that's actually unfair because they've all been smashed. They really have. And there are a number of industrials that have actually done rather well but my, i think in the us the american consumer is the dream consumer on average right they've got loads of money loads of disposable income living the american dream right now yes there's been some pressure here and there but on the whole there's, they are under nowhere near as much pressure as in south africa for example so consumer businesses in the us i think it's the other way around you know they've been generally quite a good place to play right
1: yeah i mean that's the dispersion that i think we, we're discussing or rather the divergence that we're discussing is that In South Africa, it's almost been orientated around consumer staples, the more defensive side of the economy. And those have been kind of the stocks that have rallied. And that generally correlates with an economy that's kind of Heading into a recession or an early recession type of economic cycle. And if you overlay that against a market cycle, it generally correlates with a market that at a headline level is likely to be under pressure. I wouldn't call it necessarily a bear market. It might be a bear market, but that's kind of the story that you're picking up in terms of just the sectoral emphasis that you're seeing in South Africa. Now let's zoom out. Let's look at the US. As you've indicated, Ghost, if you look over the last two quarters, we've had this phenomenal bounce come through in terms of cyclical stocks. Now, bear in mind, you know, your categorization has a couple of nuances. So if you look at, for example, Google, you might think of Google as a tech company, but when you look at it from a sector perspective, it comes through as communication services. It's a consumer cyclical stock. So again, just depending on where you put it, go and have a look at the sectoral definition of where a particular stock falls. That aside, In the U.S., you've seen a massive underperformance of the defensives. Now, what are you talking about when you look at defensive? You're looking at consumer staple stocks. You're talking utilities. Remember, in the U.S., you can actually buy energy producers. You can buy the water utilities. You can buy a whole host of very defensive stocks. Those have underperformed, and the cyclical stocks have really done relatively better now yes they've bounced they came off very sharply and then they bounced. so we're talking about tactically the last quarter maybe two quarters but now when we overlay that to an economic cycle and to a market cycle how does that look different to South Africa and this is important is that this generally tends to correlate with an economy that's already gone through some of the recession and might actually be emerging out of the recession. Remember, markets tend to be forward-looking. They're saying, okay, if we've gone through the tough times, maybe we actually seen good times come through, and so they position into the cyclicals for that. And incidentally, it's actually the opposite of what you'd be seeing in South Africa, is that you would then have a much more bullish or proactive outlook on the markets. Now, there are lots of caveats out there. As we're recording this, it is pre the very important Fed meeting that is happening this week, and by the time we release this, the Fed meeting will have come and gone. But even there, you're arguably looking at the top end of the current interest rate cycle. You're discussing whether the Fed pauses and then maybe hikes again, or whether they actually pause and then reverse the cycle. I've actually got a a nice little comment for it. I'd used it in one of my research reports. I said, is it a pause with a pivot? Or is it a pause with clause, right? Because that's really where the market's dancing on this one. But at the end of the day, it means that when you're investing globally versus investing in South Africa, your tactical strategy has got to be very different just based on what the underlying economy and business
0: cycle is doing. And I think you have to manage your emotions as well. If you are selling by the time you've read 100 terrible headlines, it's probably too late. In fact, you're probably literally picking the bottom. Equally, if you are buying when every single piece of news is absolutely fantastic and nothing could possibly go wrong and everything is wonderful, then you are setting yourself up for potentially a lot of trouble. And it's just the hardest thing in the market and we are all guilty of it from time to time. We all are. I don't believe there is anyone out there who has never fallen foul of this. But just managing your own emotions is absolutely key and looking through the noise around you. I mean, I know better than anyone from a media perspective you know, the, the the narrative sometimes follows the price, like that's a reality. You can look at a share price and convince yourself, okay, this thing must be doing well. You know, look at the share price, let's go look for that that story. I try very, very hard not to do that, but the reality is that anyone can fall into that trap and the media as a whole definitely falls into that trap and companies love it because they try and drive the narrative in order to try and drive the price. And some of the best traders and investors I follow on Twitter Sometimes they throw an opinion out there where you just think, geez, that's crazy. You know, why are you buying this thing now? Like, Why are you selling this thing now? And then guess what? Three weeks later, so often, something's happened. It's turned or whatever the case may be. But the trick with them as well is they know when to take a profit and go away. So in many cases, they are not saying, hey, long term, we think pick and pay is a fabulous business. Like No one thinks that right now in the market, I don't think. But can pick and pay rally? and give you a really cool way to play the load shedding trade because it's been hammered so badly, yes. So it becomes a trading tool. And I think so much of success in the markets is about looking at a company and understanding, what does this thing get used for by people in the market? Like, what does this take a view on? And how can I use it to take a view on something? And Pick and Pay is a great example. You know, it is the perennial underperformer versus ShopRite. It has been absolutely hammered by load shedding. So guess what? If load shedding turns, you can sit and wait and then jump into pick and pay and go. And you can keep a list of these things. You know, you can watch behaviors in the market, you can see how share prices react to news and keep a little notebook for yourself that says, you know what, if this turns, if this news changes, then this company over here may well be a good place to play. And that is how you can make some pretty good money swing trading in the market, or at least one of the ways.
1: Yeah, and it's it's really about the discipline, right? Because sometimes you have this fantastic idea and you put the idea in the portfolio And then you don't stick to the discipline of taking your profit, taking it off the table, arguably. And if you're going to be an active trader, that's really what you've got to do. But then to your point around narrative, Ghost, I mean, this is really so important because even this podcast, for example, contributes to the narrative on markets. Companies are sensitive to this as well. I mean, I I track, for example, mentions of themes in S&P 500 earnings releases, And a couple of interesting things is that you see as companies talk about inflation, you'll see that it comes through in the narrative and then it peaks and curls off. And quite often, that can give you a reasonably good indication in terms of what is the social temperature out there? What is the temperature check on what businesses are seeing as the big risk? And why do I raise this? Is Again, as we speak right now, we just had U.S. inflation numbers come out, and they came through at 4%. Now, yes, it's not the 2% target that the Fed has got out there, but it's 4%. That is the lowest we've had after it had peaked at 9.1%. So, It's important to look through that because a little while ago, you had inflation peaking in the narrative, and now it's curled off. And quite often, if you had gone and invested for the inflation trade, when the narrative was peaking, guess what? The cycle turned against you just as the narrative was peaking. So you've got to look through to the underlying economy, what's happening. And some good examples there, just from a macro perspective, is a while ago, driving inflation, we had the supply chain constraints. You've seen that come through in terms of earnings transcripts and what companies were focusing on. But if you go and have a look at the supply chain index, this is a data point out there that kind of correlates all of the different indicators on supply chain. If you go and have a look at that, that peaked at a plus four. That is when the world was really terrified about not getting stuff. It's currently sitting at a minus two. Now, for context, that is the lowest we've had since the global financial crisis in 2008. So that's telling that supply chain issues are no longer a material issue. Now, let's let's bring this back into companies. You've seen all of this come through. Companies in South Africa, for example, like Grinrod, you'll have seen that come through in terms of the numbers and the releases there. So you've got to correlate the macro to the micro. And the same thing applies to, for example, if you look at business inventories in the US, with that supply chain crunch, we actually saw inventory growth kind of creep up subsequent to that, and then they've actually curled back down again. So if you look at inventory growth, it's just gone negative in the United States when you look at business inventories. Now this again is starting to tell you about a couple of things in the business cycle. It's saying consumers are there, they're starting to buy, businesses are running down their inventories, maybe they haven't actually invested a heck of a lot because they wanted to run those inventories down, but as inventories get run down, guess what? They're going to have to go and produce a little bit more. And that's then going to have to start to filter through in terms of overall production numbers and economic growth. So this, I'm trying to just join the dots for people that sometimes you're out there and you see a data point And the data point says, oh, business inventory is this or, oh, inflation that. And again, on inflation, look at energy prices. Yes, they peaked. But on a year-on-year basis, we're down around 30% compared to where we were last year. So all of these will mean that, yes, prices don't come down, but the rate of change actually slows down a lot. And then that comes through to the economic data, and that moves policymakers. This is how you join the dots between the macro and the micro and bring that all the way back
0: down to investing in specific companies, if that's what you're doing. Well, it's been a fascinating discussion and one that I've really enjoyed. It it actually shows how interesting the markets are, how difficult the markets are, and at the end of the day, how this is really just an enormous arena for human emotions above everything else. Behavioral finance plays out every single day in the markets, and that is, of course, what makes it a ton of fun. So I think we can leave it there for this week. It's always cool just chatting through the markets with you, tapping into your brain, and sharing these views with our listeners. Again, to our listeners, if you haven't checked out Magic Markets Premium, give it a bash. It's 99 bucks a month. There's no minimum commitment. You can literally try it for one month and see if it's for you. And that's 99 Rand. You would struggle these days to buy a burger and chips for that number. And we have not put the price up despite what's been going on with inflation because we want to make it as accessible for people as possible. So go to magicmarkets.com. Check it out. If this has interested you and you are ready to really take your knowledge to the next level in the markets, I think Magic Markets Premium is something you'll enjoy.
1: Yeah, thanks so much, Ghost, it's been fascinating. And again, if you're not following us on social media, it's at Magic Markets Pod. one word. You can also follow me at Muhammad Nalla and the ghost at Finance Ghost. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed this. Until next
0: week, same time, same place. Thanks and cheers. Ciao. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice please speak to your personal financial advisor.